good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Another moving song from Anne and Lurie and our Soul Light Connection. Yes, she got us. She got me anyway. Uh, thank you so much, and we're so blessed to have you here. Each week, you know, sometimes my you know, niece and nephews will ask me a question like, what was it like living way back in the 1900s? <laughs> And it makes me realize that, you know, I've lived through experiences that some, maybe, I don't know, maybe half the population has to Google it. But I've been there. So I take you back to what was an uneventful day back in April 1968. I was a sophomore in high school and I was waking, I remember just on the back side of the, our building because we were ready for our car to take us to another school for an event that was about to take place, a tournament on speech and debate. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, another classmate came running up to us frantically and broke up all the ordinariness of the moment. And he said that uh, someone had killed Martin Luther King. You know, that day... A sense of innocence and hope for a better world seemed to die. And I think it was replaced by a great deal of cynicism, sometimes skepticism on many of myself and other people's parts, as it related to the world that was envisioned by Dr. King himself. And I would say, despite our human response, to what that event was all about, Dr. King represented a vehicle that expressed the possibility of the human spirit. And he also represented the possibility of what it means to be a channel for a divine idea, a God-inspired idea. Because, you know, a God-inspired idea, sometimes it can be frustrated, it can be delayed, it can be temporarily sidetracked but it cannot be stopped. Victor Hugo, who was a French dramatist and novelist as well as a poet, said something to the effect, an invasion of armies can be resisted, but not an idea whose time has come. 
I believe he was saying in so many words, there's nothing more powerful in the world than an idea whose time has come. And there are times when there's an unfoldment of the universe that creates a moment in that time that is perfect for the right person with the right vision, with a mission to bring forth an idea that alters the course of history, that puts a dent in our universe, as Steve Jobs would say. And such a moment took place on December 1st, 1955, when a 42-year-old African-American woman and a seamstress named Rosa Parks was riding a public bus. And she had just left her job from a department store. And she was approached by a man who remained standing rather than to sit next to her. And the bus driver at that time had demanded that she surrender her seat because this was the law at the time, the segregation laws at the time, also known as Jim Crow. But she was too tired to give up her seat. It wasn't like she was trying to be a martyr or trying to advocate some cause. She just was working all day and her feet was hurting, so she was not getting up. So she was arrested. And subsequent to that time, a young visionary Baptist minister, Martin Luther King Jr., led a boycott for almost 400 days of nonviolent resistance and transformed the moment, and he began to set in motion a moral and a spiritual as well as a political revolution that I think even has tremors in the consciousness for justice today. He had a vision, a vision that went beyond himself, a vision that went beyond his own ego to positively impact and redirect the future of the country. And indeed, uh, America... uh, And our world probably needs a compelling vision. Particularly as we look around today and we begin to see the appearance of divisiveness and polarization and sense of separation. Probably the last compelling vision in America was when he looked out and said, I have a dream. And he began to speak about his dream and the possibility of all people living together, working together, being creative together. I think he didn't miss his mission. He didn't miss his purpose for being on the planet in which he lived. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I remember reading something about when he was asked if they would do anything different in his life. He said, well, if I would do anything different in my life, I would have a bigger vision. And I'm thinking to myself, you already did so much in a very short period of time. I look at myself and I said, man, I need to get on the ball. But anyway, the recognition of his birthday, I believe, serves as a reminder to each and every one of us that all of us have a grand purpose. All of us have a reason for being here on the planet that goes beyond ourselves. And it doesn't have to be a big idea like he did on a grand international stage. But we know that the purpose for ourselves is grand for us particularly when we realize it's bigger than what we may be able to accomplish without the power and the presence and the love of God itself. And it's something that may not be able to be completed in a single lifetime. And Dr. King recognized this as he was evidenced in his famous speech called the mountaintop speech. And it was given one day before he actually was passed. He passed. And he says something to the effect, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. He said longevity has its way, has its role. 
But I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people will get to that promised land. And I think we can expand that to include all of us, that there is a divine idea waiting to express through us. So today, as we acknowledge the anniversary of his birth, I want to look at three lessons that we can take from Dr. King to help us do our part to be the instruments, to be the channels of the divine ideas that he talked about. And so the first lesson is to recognize the transforming power of nonviolence. And of course, he picked this up from you know, Mahatma Gandhi, who utilized this same principle in his work in India. Martin Luther King, like Dr. Gandhi, was a strong advocate for nonviolence as a way to achieve social change, to make transformation happen. He believed in the power of the soul force. And soul force was more effective than any kind of violence to achieve long-term change. Not only physical violence, but verbal violence. And so that boycott that he led was a clear example of utilizing soul force, a nonviolence to protest against the unjust laws during that time. And I believe that we practice soul force or that nonviolent philosophy of resistance by giving out a high form of energy in exchange for a low form of energy that may be coming toward us. And this is probably what Jesus the Christ meant when he said, turn the other cheek. And I'm sure that people in his day were saying, oh, we're not ready for that. Just that many individuals who didn't understand Dr. King's work said, you know, that doesn't seem to be practical. They were saying to him that, you know, we like that other stuff that you were saying. That was really cool. You know, God is love and you're the light of the world. The kingdom of God is within us. But we're not masochists. No, nah, brother, man, we ain't going for this turn the other's cheek stuff. But what they didn't understand that what he meant was to give one form of energy for the energy that you may be receiving. That's what it meant to turn the other cheek. It means to give something in exchange for something lower, you give something higher. Someone gives you hate, you give them love. So that's not turn the other cheek that says, slap me, but do like the, the martial artists do with Aikido. They simply turn the energy around and use the energy against that individual. You're giving that someone an energy in return for giving that low vibration energy. You give forgiveness. You give that divine love. You give compassion. You give understanding. Now, it takes spiritual strength to do that because it doesn't take spiritual strength to react to the nonsense. It doesn't take spiritual strength to react to the hate, to the abuse, or the impoliteness. But it does take spiritual strength to exchange one form of energy for something else. You know, this was put in practice in a simple way years ago when I was at a spiritual community. And one of my mentors happened to be the, the leader of that community. And as you know, you know, in, uh, in, in our arena, you know, we're very open to all people. You know, whether they're, you know, no matter what their sexual background is and things of that nature. And that was a very high thing that was going on uh, down in South Florida at the time. And so there were some protesters that came out. It was the middle of August or something like that. It was hot outside, and they were holding up their placards and calling us blasphemous and heathens and all of that thing. And, you, and the, the immediate reaction, you wanted to, to respond and react. But the minister said, no, don't do that. He said, uh, go in the, in, in, in the uh, 
refrigerator, you know, get some cups of water, bring them out there and bring them some water and to say, is there anything we can do to support you and help you when you're protest out here? And we were just sending them out some, some divine excess love that they I got to the point they couldn't take it anymore. So they left. You know, they just, just left. But we can do that only when we have an understanding of who and what we are spiritually and the power of that force. And we can put that soul force into motion. It takes strength to operate with that soul force consciousness. And then transformation takes place. The parties involved with it begin to have a change in themselves and it makes a difference in their life as well as the rest of the people involved. So one of the first lessons that we can recognize from Dr. King is to recognize the power of the transforming energy of that soul force or nonviolence to transform the moment. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, he had a lot of, you know, things to teach, you know, and not just in this arena. He had he talks about leadership and spirituality and all of that stuff, but I only picked three because I only have a little bit amount of time. And somebody said that the universe is based on three, so that seemed like a good number. So anyway, the second lesson that we could take from Ting is to paint a vivid picture of the future. Now, one of the things he didn't, he never sugarcoated the current reality that he faced. He faced the brutal facts that were before him. He acknowledged that. And sometimes I think we might want to gloss over the situation that we may be facing and deny the facts and discount the facts of the situation. But he never did that. And it kind of reminds me of a story that, you know, anyone in New Unity should know. It's one of our favorite stories. And it's the story about the, the three spiritual leaders. You know, one of them was a, a Catholic priest. The other one was a Jewish rabbi. And the other third was a, a, a unity minister. And, you know, they all ended up, you know, in, in hell. Of course, you know, we know that hell is not a place in a state of consciousness, but this is just a story. <laughs> and, you know, they were, you know, the, the priest and the, and the rabbi were commiserating with one another. And, and, and the rabbi asked the Catholic priest, well, well, how did you end up in here? And he said, well, you know, I had a secret girlfriend on the side. They found out about it. So I, you know, God sent me to hell. And then uh, he asked uh, the Jewish rabbi, I said, well, well, how did you end up in here? Say, hey, man, I, you know, I like eating pork chops. And, you know, I, for some reason, I ended up here in hell. And so they were commiserating with one another. And then they looked over in the corner. And there was a unity minister over there. And he was kind of mumbling to himself over and over again. And they said to themselves, well, wait a minute. What is he doing here? Them unity people, they don't even believe in hell. Let's go check it out. So they walked over there and they kind of bent over and heard him whispering to himself over and over again, mumbling to himself, I ain't here and it ain't hot. I ain't here and it ain't hot. Well, he was there. He was sweating and he was hot. The facts were not being faced by him. Martin Luther King recognized that the facts of our current reality, he acknowledged. But he knew that the facts did not have the final word. And that we can forever rise above the so-called facts when we can articulate, when we can embody, and we can paint a vivid picture for a better tomorrow. That's the power of a vision. Vision pulls us to a new reality. As it states in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. But the converse of that in the Bible according to Trap, when there is no vision, the people squabble. 
Vision is something that is so clear in our mind that we can see it in our imagination. It serves as a roadmap for success in our life and in our world. Without that, we're directionless. If we don't know where we're going as the saying goes, oh, anything will take us there. Any road will take us there. But a vision will take us where we want to be. And there's seeming magic when we're clear about what that vision is. Steps along the way will show up. The whys and the hows and the people and the resources will show up. And I think the whole spirit of God grows through us. And we allow it to grow through us, through our dreams and through our visions. And as we think about the power of painting a compelling vision, it reminds, us of a, reminds me of a story of a time during Reconstruction. I've shared about you know, how a domestic worker. Her name was Madam C.J. Walker, and she was a child of former enslaved parents. Those were the facts that she was facing at that time. But somehow she was implanted in her mind a vision of possibilities beyond her condition. And she set out on a mission to, to move from being a domestic worker to manufacturing her own hair products and then becoming a distributor of those all across the country. And so she took $1.50, which is a lot of money in that time. And within 10 years, I think she had like you know, 5,000 agents and all over the country, despite what appeared to be incredible odds. And she became the first self-made woman millionaire in the United States. But what she did, she demonstrated the power of capturing and believing in a compelling vision to create a whole new future for herself, as well as for the many people that had worked for her along the way. But I think the whole idea is to remember what that means for us, for our communities, and for our world. We've got to have that vision that compels us, that pulls us forward. So the second lesson of Dr. King is to have a compelling vision, a vivid picture of a better tomorrow that includes for us individually as well as collectively. And so the third point I want to point out is his lesson was about love. And he said, love even those we do not like. Dr. King wrote a note after someone asked him what he believed was the meaning of love. And he had a handwritten note that said that love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the cosmos, the moral cosmos. And he said, he who loves is a participant of being God. So he focused on the role of love as a key to building healthy communities and building ways in which we can love and, and be at the center of even social interactions. You know, for him, love was a key part to creating communities that worked for everyone, not just for the few at the expense of the many. And he said it's not something that's mushy or easily dismissed as an emotion, but central to the kind of community he envisioned. And so Dr. King made distinctions between three forms of love which are key to the human experience. He talked about eros and he talked about philia, but most importantly, he focused on the idea of agape. And agape means understanding, redeeming, goodwill for all men and women, an overflowing love in which seeks nothing in return. In light of the seeming deepening 
divisions that we often see in our country and even in our world. I think his words and philosophy are perhaps more critical for us today than any point in contemporary history. Indeed, he said that agape is a willingness to go any length to restore community, restore a sense of oneness. And he outlined a vision in which we are compelled to work toward making our communities inclusive at a time that there is a great division, that there is a need to bring back his vision of an agape-fueled community building and once again to begin to speak about where we are and where we want to go and to approach differences with an open mind. So his final lesson, at least my pulling out for today, was the power of this agape love. And perhaps it's just a point just to hear his voice, to hear a few words as he speaks on this topic and some of the things in which I just mentioned. So we're going to hear a short excerpt from a speech that he gave. These are great words, words lifted to cosmic proportions. The Greek language comes out with another word for love. It is the word agape. Agape is more than eros. Agape is more than philia. Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love, it's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him and he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus said, love them. And love is greater than life. Love is understanding, redemptive, goodwill for all men, so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have a copy in your soul. And here you come to the point that you love the individual who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. I think when we practice when we practice these lessons that Martin Luther King espoused, we begin to break down the artificial barriers that we have created between people, between groups, between nations, to download that beloved community that he dreamed about. When we do, we'll begin to no longer see differences. We'll see the many variations of how this infinite, unlimited spirit needs all of the varieties to reveal its infinitude. Don't know if that's a word, but it is now. <laughs> and we'll see that we're all glorifying this presence that we call God that is beyond words. That we're all glorifying this presence as the beloved community. 
So we want to do our part to expand the beloved community in consciousness so that we bring forth this oneness by taking one area of our life where we can intensely practice one of the ideas or ideals that he taught. One idea is where we can rebel against business as usual. So our seemingly upside down world can be made right side up. We do this in our own environment and then we watch. We watch it spread like wildfire because we're in tune the way things really are spiritually. That underneath business as usual, there is an idea. There is a spiritual plan. There is a wholeness. There is a harmony so that we may anchor what he envisioned. So as we take in his ideas, we simply say, happy birthday, Martin Luther King. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center